Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's up? It's Roy. I hope you all are having a wonderful holiday, whatever you're celebrating. You wrapped up Hanukkah. Kwanzaa's around the corner. Of course, Jesus and the Lord is coming up this week. So, you know, my staff, they work very hard. And uh, how can I put it? Um, I gave them a little bit of time off. So here's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're going to roll together some of the best things that you might have missed. I know a lot of you all have been joining this podcast a little late. And I know, you know, it's 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 daunting to start back at the beginning of a podcast. Let's be honest. Most motherfuckers ain't finna go back to episode one and work their way through, even though you should. So there's a segment we do on the show called Worst and First. And this episode today is dedicated to some of the best people that have called in and told us stories about either their first job or their worst job. I want to kick it off with a brother um, this block. He was uh, dealing with a manager at his fast food spot, and they was kind of sort of making out in the cooler while my mans was trying to work. Shout out to the homie Marquise. After him, you're going to hear the voice of the homie Dave Hellum, who was a Chicago school teacher who volunteered to be laid off, and the wonderful, wonderful Carrie Champion from Vice. Carrie and Jamel stick to sports. We'll have a quick story from her as well. It's the job fair. All right. This is a good brother. I just met him on Twitter not too long ago. He's sitting there upside down in the cut. That's Marquise. Marquise, rotate your phone, pimp. Rotate your phone. I'm on a, I'm on my laptop, my nigga, and this shit trying to this damn camera fucking up and shit. God damn, like shit. This like I don't even know, nigga. Like damn, my worst job though was Long John Silver's because motherfuckers mm-hmm. would go on break. It was a couple that was on there. They would go on break, but they asses would always be in the freezer making out and shit. And we trying to get food so we can drop it. But they in there fucking kissing and making out. We like, bro, we got shit to do, dog. We trying to close. I'm trying to go home. Hold on. I got this piece to smoke. You're saying that your long John Silver's where you work, that people was fucking in the deep freezer. I didn't say that. I didn't see them fuck. I'm not 6'9". I ain't saying that. I ain't snitching. I ain't see them fuck. But when I was going back there, they was kissing heavy. And it, it, it was, I was like, bro, we got work to do, dog. I'm trying to get home and smoke this weed. We got to close. And y'all up in here trying to make out and do all this stuff. I'm trying to get the goddamn hush. I need to get the hush puppy so we can thaw them out and drop them. <laughs> and this during Lent week on Wednesday. You know them Catholics and white folks don't play about they damn fish and shit. Yeah, like, bro, y'all gotta do something. You know what's crazy, man? You know what's crazy about being black at work when somebody else cutting up? You don't even give a fuck if somebody else cutting up. Just don't let it block me from doing my job. Exactly. Do what it, you do. That's the whole thing. But do it that's over the there. Bro, didn't nobody you know report saying? him, though? Didn't nobody, like, just write a note to the supervisor? Like, hey, they be fucking on top of the hush puppies. No, nah, because he was giving me fire ass weed, so I couldn't do that. I'm like, no, nah, I ain't gonna snitch. I need to get my weed. You know what I'm saying? I can't do that. <laughs> Would you? You're right. I can't even disagree exactly. with you. If that's the exactly. plug, you can't shut down the plug. Hell no, you can't. And he was masking, so he was probably, you know, he might be linked to El Chapo or not. I'm not getting my toes cut off for nobody. Marquise, what do you do right now? <laughs> Who, me? Oh, yes. what's your job? What, what, without saying the name of the company, what do you do for a living right now? Telemarketing. That's what's okay. up, man. Make the bread, man. Marquise, do you uh, do you have a white people voice when you telemarket? Hey, how you doing? Welcome. How you doing today? <laughs> how you doing? Yep. Oh, you calling for the electricity bill? Surely I will surely help you. Oh, give me one second. Hey, nigga. <laughs> Can I clock out for work? Can I clock out for lunch yet? <laughs> no. Hey, how you doing? 
And that's how I talk to my employees because they get scared when you talk deep. They're Wait like, a oh, minute, Lord. nigga, you're a supervisor? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ain't no supervisor. Like you got to be on the floor. You know what I'm saying? You got to Oh, your co workers. You said your employees. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> All right, worst and first, let's continue on. I think we got time for one more. JG, who's in the um who's on deck? We have Jay. Oh, so you can't introduce him like that, Jack. See, now I'm looking at him on the Zoom. The people can't see him, but I can see this brother. This is one of the baddest stand-up comedians and member of the Television Writers Guild. Mr. Dave Hellum in the building, Shot Town in the building. And Cody, I know you're from Chicago, so I'm gonna push back from the mic and let y'all do all your Chicago phrases and whatever the hell the Harold's chicken up, handshake what out Joe what's good what up, with Joe? you what up what up what up boy what up boy <laughs> uh, Dave, gang gang Dave always a pleasure man thank you for just popping in man so randomly like you know professionally you know it, we, we'll get into everything that you've done but if it is on television in the last five years Chances are Dave Helms touched that script. And it's a lot of quiet money going on in L.A. It's, you know, you talk about the need for black representation behind the camera, which is what creates the stories and the narratives that we need in front of the camera. And this brother is one of the architects of the restructuring of black Hollywood. I don't even like saying black Hollywood no more. We'll just say Hollywood off the rip. Um, But. We'll get you back on to talk about all those wonderful entertainment accomplishments. Dave know what we're doing. It's worse than first, man. I want to hear about your worst job or your first job, yeah. And don't say stand-up comedy. We know that's terrible. Cody just told a story right. about how Mary at Jokes and Notes would just play music over people and force them to walk okay. off the stage. Okay. So you want the worst and the first? No, just give me give me the worst. Give me the worst. Just, just the worst. Okay. We'll get you out of here. Uh, hands down. Hands down, absolutely. Uh being a math teacher in Chicago, a high school math teacher, was the fucking worst job that I've ever had in my mm-hmm. life. I came out of, I came went to Morehouse. I was like, I'm gonna change these black kids. I'm gonna mold them. I'm gonna go back to my hood. And I'm too nice. I smile too much. My pants is too tight. It's something about me that make them think that I am a bitch. Okay, like so. <laughs> it was. I'm on the west side of Chicago, and, and the west side of Chicago is a different type of. Of savage, and I'm, I'm at that school where the kids wear like the blazers and the tie, and they say 100 of our kids go to college, and it's this whole pomp and circumstance about like the school, and, and the people are like, oh my god, these kids are so dope. No, 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 no. I was teaching geometry about 10 years ago, and these kids would throw oranges at my back while I'm teaching. They stole my laptop twice, <laughs> like. <laughs> It stole my laptop twice, huh? Not once, twice. And the other kids who fuck with them were like, yo, Mr. Hellum, I know who got your laptop, but I can't snitch. So just know that it's in a pawn shop right now on like Roosevelt and Western. And, and you would have to go I'm buy sorry. back your, or report it, do a police report and reclaim your laptop. So I'm an alpha. And like all the, all the faculty was a bunch of like cues, like these strong ass men. The principal called me his office. He was like, son, this is your second laptop. Are you not a man? Like, why do they keep stealing your shit? And I was just like, look, sir, don't, you're not gonna come at me like this. Like, I've been through a lot of trauma with these niggas, like, trying to teach them. And they would be trying to, like, psychoanalyze me. Like, one kid, I kind of yelled at him for doing something. He was like, oh, I see you. You was one of them kids when you was a little, when you, when you was our age, you got bullied. So now you the teacher. Oh, you the bitch. And I was just like, was he right? Like, it hurt. He I was, was like, right. I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know, Roy. I was like, I was, I was trying to process it and see, but that wasn't mm. the final straw. The, the, the final straw is when I found out that they had a nickname going around uh, the school about me, <laughs> and the nickname that they had to me was Mister Loose Booty, right? And whoa, <laughs> Mister Loose Booty. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't know what about my niceness to you all? The fact that I went to Morehouse, the fact that I'm saying like, you know, my pants have been a little bit bigger. I get that, you know, but I love these kids. They man. went straight you know to homophobic slurs. Or is this because your pants fit loose? Is it because your pants fit loose? I'm no. thinking this is, we, we no, in no. slur territory at this point. Well, we in slur territory, man. And then like, I found out like, 
it was tweets going on. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, it was like a hashtag, like uh, it was like hashtag MLB, like Mr. Loose Booty. Like, man, I, I need <laughs> that the other kids were like tweeting about. I'm sorry for laughing, Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It wasn't baseball. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't major league. So it was Mr. Loose Booty, and mm. it got so bad that at the end of the year, mm. uh, I wasn't asked back at the school because it was too much shit going on with my laptop and the, the, the loose bootiness of it all. Right. So, so they blamed you the network. for the kids treating you like shit. Because like you had to be a different type of teacher, bro. Like, like this is the type of school where like you close the door and then you tell the student like, nigga, I will kill you. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like and they, they would be used to having these conversations and the kids respected that. But I would have conversations like I was trying to change you. Like, I see the good in you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to, I want you to go to college. This one dude was like, nigga, you're not my daddy. Oh, so you was, was like, like the okay. white lady in them fixed the black school movies in yeah, the yeah. I, I was I was I was uh Hillary Duff. Right. I believe in you, Tyrone. You can do what a, I we we gotta get you out of here because I could talk to you about this all day, but real quick, have any of these kids now contacted you to apologize? It's been 10 years. Yes, 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 yes. That's, you know, oh, they, they, they DM me. Uh, message me on Facebook, Twitter, like, yo, hell I'm, I'm sorry, man. We was we was wild. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm a little bit older. Like I realized you was trying to get us to be on some shit and we wasn't. And I was like, man, thank you. That's all I wanted to know. That's all I wanted to hear. Like, I'm telling you, boy, I would buy these kids like I would have cologne in my in my desk. They would be so musty. Like I, I would make sure that they would be yeah. like prepared for the world. I'm like, come here, man, you stink. Let me hit you up with a little little Dior, you know what I'm saying? So have you go out smelling fresh in these hallways, not like you're in prison right now, right? And then they just they, they took it this week. And then they would steal your laptop. Twice. I, I gotta La- be honest with you. Laptops. I, I gotta be honest with you, especially because it's not baseball season yet. I'm gonna go see what dusty corner of the internet I could find hashtag MLB in and see how they was cooking you back in the day. I just gotta find You're gonna have to go through a lot of baseball tweets to get to it, but that's that's worth it. I know. That's worth it. You might have to go pull the best ones yourself, Dave. You know what I mean? I don't think I ever want to see those tweets again, Cody. I ain't not gonna lie to you. It's not worth the trauma. Well, the brother is currently writing on Raven's home, but I know you got Southside with, um, is it Hulu or HBO Max? Southside is over there. You know, and then I'm I'm not a writer on that show. I, I'm a I've that's what I that's it, what but, I mean. You know, I'm I, just I'm just reading off everything you've done, man. Because you just you don't forget. Fucking, don't forget. We're talking to DJ the Chicago Kid right now, woo, man. Dude, woo. that's the that's the album coming out. My first special <laughs> drop. Go. <laughs> so, okay, I have one more question. I know you have to go, but I'm curious. Okay. These were some interesting students. So what kind mm-hmm. of scams were they running in that school? Uh, you, you know, they had like the snack scams, you know what I'm saying? Like the, like, you know, selling drugs, it was honey buns, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, some of the kids were just car crackers. So they had real scams going on. Uh, I don't know what that means. Me and JG from the South. Me either. Car crackers, like, okay, car crackers are people who would steal credit card information online and like sell to other people. You know what I'm saying? Like they were basically just steal people's information. Oh, and fishing and, and buy okay. stuff. So they could go in your wallet, get your credit card, write it down, and then sell that card number. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they was getting these numbers, Brian. But I, I know they had people's information, and they was just buying hella shit and stuff like that. Like they had, I mean, and also just like weed and stuff. But you know, they they would hustle hard. So they were really smart, but just misguided. Well, some of them were. Yeah. Oh, some. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, a lot of them. I mean, ain't, ain't that most kids? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's, there's something in them, but they just need to be turned in a way, you know. So, well, I don't, I don't miss it at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember when I left teaching, they were doing layoffs, and I, I volunteered. I said, "Hey, you might be the first teacher to ever say fuck them kids." I I can't thank you enough for taking a couple minutes out of your day, brother. I mean that, man. And I'm happy for everything that you're doing now. You're eating in a pandemic. So, God damn it, keep cooking, sir. Uh, That is Dave Hellum. If you have seen Dave Hellum's laptop, please contact us at Roy's Job Fair (laughs) on social media. 
at Roy's Job Fair. All right, all right Dave. We'll holler at you, brother. All right. Peace, Dave. Peace. <laughs> JG, who do we have up first? We have a 10, and her name is Carrie. I will try to keep this grin off of my face, but this woman is amazing. Yes. She is great, and Agreed. she has humbly allowed me on a multitude of her media Good. platforms. So when I say Aww. she is a friend of the job fair, Yay. she is indeed a friend. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I am equally uh, as uh, effusive about you, my friend. So I appreciate you having me. And look, if we're helping people get gigs, I like it. Sackleston. Sackle- you say it just so easy. Don't Sackleson. roll off a Sackleston. Sackleston. Sackleston State. JG, he says it College. so easy. Yes. Yeah, so hard. Sackleston. <laughs> I was an instructor there, and then I gained weight. They fired me. That's anyway, crazy. tell me about your worst or your first job. I know you have many up mm-hmm. and down the world of journalism that you have mm-hmm. traversed. Uh, are there any that stand out? Well, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one my first. Are we talking professional or just as a kid? It's just whatever we, stands first, out. Okay, this so is I wherever have a you want to take us. I'm gonna, I got two firsts, so allow me to do my two firsts. My first okay. first job ever was when I was 12 years old. Me and my best friend at the time, Starla Willis, shout out to Starla Willis, who I don't even know where she is now, but we lived in Pasadena and we walked, Pasadena, California, mm-hmm. and we walked up and down Colorado Boulevard looking for jobs. We just, it was just, we thought it would be cute. It's the summer. We don't, we didn't go to summer school. My mom didn't put me in no type of activity. She was like, the TV will watch you. Sit in front of the TV, put the key around your neck and do something. <laughs> so we came up with this great idea of just walking up and down Colorado Boulevard to find a job. And we walked in and we like, two little black girls, 12 year old, like, are you hiring? Are you hiring? And Econo Print, I think is still there. Two was a, a, a shop owned by these lovely men. And they said, yes. And this does not have, it's not a bad ending, but it's my first job. They were like, yes. Um, you guys can come work for us. And so I came back home and I said, mom, I got a job. I'm working at Econo Print. She's like, how'd you find this job? I said, we just not <laughs> walking down the street. They said we could work there. I start tomorrow. I make whatever it was. And she packed me a lunch, dropped me off at work. And she was like, <laughs> okay, babe, go on, go on, do it. Starla met me. We was there right on time. And we we're like, we're here to work. And what we were doing was it was a printing company and they would make programs back in the day. Like, you know, they put together a little folder, a little binder. And our jobs were to just basically organize and shuffle. They just wanted to help these little, little black kids do wow. something. They were so sweet. Let me tell you why you can't do nothing for us. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What now, y'all do? I What Starla do? I, so Starla started it. Starla was like, let me teach you B language. So if we want to talk bad about them, they won't know. Y'all know B language? No. Where you put a B... A B at every syllable, Cabera B, Raboy, Wabuds, Jabunya Bird. Oh, that's some West Coast shit. Me and JG from the South. Okay, so (laughs) so we had this language we created because we clearly had nothing to do. Um, Where we, in case things were going bad at work, we talked bad about Mm -hmm. whomever. This has been talking bad about people since I was 12, right? So our boss was getting on our nerves one day and he was in there with us. And we, at 12 years old, thought we were slick. We're going to turn and his, his name was. John, I'm making it up. I'm like, Jabana biz a babe, bad my band. Do you know John was like, Naboa by a band, girl, JG. I thought, yes, Roy. I thought we were speaking a language of our own. He's like, I know B language. I learned it when I was 13. And you, I am not a bad man. That's so rude of you, young ladies. Because I was like, John's a bad man in B language, and he just hit me up like, no, I'm not. And I looked over at Starla and Starla and I, we were just, we were mortified. So we kept working. <laughs> Incident one, he let us come back. Maybe mm. we worked there two weeks, who knows? Uh, then the second week, we were just being lazy and not stapling correctly. So you know how you have a little binder and you're supposed <sighs> to put the staples nice and neat. Mm-hmm. We had the staples over here to the right and to no. the left. He came upstairs and he gave us a talking to. Uh-oh. And I never forget. And it changed my work ethic to this day. He said, this is my livelihood. My family mm-hmm. eats off of this. He was like, I don't know if you guys know how serious this is, but when you do something wrong, we can't use this. I can't mm-hmm. sell this. This is not fair to me or my family. Now we have to throw oh. all of these programs away because mm-hmm. you guys 
didn't want to do them the right way. And to me, this is just etiquette and sheer laziness, what you guys are doing. Like he, he gave us a lesson. This is like the three hole punch type thing. Yes. Yeah. We were just being lazy. Just being oh, lazy. Yeah, just, back. Oh, he fired oh. us. He, he, the next day oh. we came in and gave it, he gave us our check for the week. He paid us out for the week and said, thank you guys, but no, thank you. And I walked away. I was humiliated <laughs> and I didn't know that was the word to use at 12. But I promised if I ever got another opportunity, I would never turn in bad work. I would always get, mm-hmm. I would always do my best. And when I tell you that was a lesson for your ass, I was 12 years old. I was like, excuse me, can we curse? I was Absolutely. even telling the story to this day, I'm embarrassed. And I remember going back when I got older, when I was in college, I went to go look for Econo Print and find the owners and they weren't there anymore. But I just wanted to say thank you. It was such a tough, I mean, mm-hmm. when I tell you I was, me and Starla were embarrassed. We first of all, we talking smack in our own little special language that he knew. Second of all, we just weren't even doing our job right. How are we going to talk smack and not do our job right? You and they did us a favor. Begging. begging for a job at twelve. I, what is in this way? Be your own people sometimes. So that's why I don't. I don't be dealing with y'all folks. That's why I got to make sure I vet y'all folks before I hire them. After the break, we are going to visit another best of the worst of Roy's job fair. And uh, that's the homie down in Alabama, Not Racist Susan. Back-to-back stories from old Not Racist Susan after the break. This is the Job Fair. Hey there, it's Michael Costa from The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show, Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. Job Fair Holiday Episodes, Best of the Worst. If you want to be a part of the program, you know, I'm I'm very, very thankful for all of the people that have called in to be a part of this show. We don't have a lot of famous guests. Every now and then a corporate CEO will bless us, but it's you. You're the ones who make this show happen. So I'm thankful to all of you. If you want to be a part of the show, please, 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 please. Just email us, RoyceJobFair at gmail.com. You can send a message to social at RoyceJobFair if you want, if that's your speed. But I'm telling you right now, the emails get read faster. RoyceJobFair at gmail.com. One of the people who did, uh, you know, email the show is a woman down there in Huntsville, and she called twice. She's one of our rare two-timers. A two-timer is a person that has made at least two appearances on the job fair. She's one of the warmest and most compelling individuals that I have ever met. If you did not catch her in the original episode titled Freezer Sex, we'll get a second story from her from the episode titled Jacqueline's Use Draws. It is my pleasure to introduce y'all to Not Racist Susan. JG, who is this that we have racked up next to share their worst or first job with us? We have Susan, and it appears her daughter is with her. Welcome to the job fair, Susan. Pretty please, uh, as quick as you can, share with us either your worst or your first job. Jacqueline said you had something interesting going on back in the day. Said, what was it, loan applications? Yes, um, that was my, it was actually my second job ever. And um, I started when I was 18 and uh, my dad got me the job. Like I said, this was in 89. And um, back then you didn't have online job applications or anything. It was either over the phone or in person. And so when it was over the phone, when I got to the point in my time that I was allowed to take job applications, I was instructed to determine the color of the job applicant over the phone because you couldn't ask anything whether they were white or black um i was instructed to ask the um applicant to spell a word with the letter r in it because black people said r so like if you said um so you live on cabrera street hold on hold on susan hold on and they would say and my boss told me to put a yellow post-it like note and paper clip it to the top of the job application (laughs) so that they would know (laughs) the race of the person who was applying um and that was horrible and it was very 
I know. And I did it one time. I'm not going to lie. I actually, I did. And it just made me feel sick. Even though I was in the South, um, I was raised in a different, not to be that way. Oh, hang on a second, Susan. Hang on a second. First off, thank you for your honesty on admitting that you did it and it's yeah it's not a fun thing to admit i understand and it's all about turning the page you recognize and realize you have a wonderful child there trying to raise it the right way god bless you let me just make sure i understand this the way that your job racially profiled loan applicants over the phone was to trick black people into spelling something with r in it story thank you that sounds like a pretty terrible job oh my god aura so um, you just... yeah it was and um i i wouldn't do it so uh I, I ended up just leaving and um i didn't go back but um they were horribly racial profiling he had one black client that he liked and it was an older gentleman but uh they felt like that the um black people would not pay on time it was it was 100 percent Racial, systemic racism, no question about it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. Real quick before we let you go, talk to me about this butt naked oil rescue that you did. <laughs> now, we have to, we, we have to, um, we have to make a little uh, pause for the cause. On we never got butt naked. Now there was a time when a titty might have popped out, but um, <laughs> that was the that Amen. was the nurse. That, that that happened to she was the only one that had the the enhancement surgery done um we had the what hitchhiker the, huh what year is this this was this back happening? in 1989 and 1990 for a girl from alabama i really got to see and experience a lot i mean we went everywhere from maine all the way to nevada um, I didn't get to go out every time, but um, it was fun. How did you get recruited into oil wrestling? Because I, you know, in 89, the way you found a job was through the paper or a sale for hire sign in a window. That was the general. There was no mm-hmm. website. Mm-mm. Maybe the thrifty nickel might have some shit in the back. Oh, in the there is thrifty nickel. <laughs> I, I know about the thrifty nickel, the penny papers, all that shit. Yeah. How um, did you get recruited for this? So I was dating a guy that went to high school with my dad and um, he had lots of money. Pause right there. Pause (laughs) right there. Uh, Okay. So you're dating a guy that's at least 30 years older than you. Yeah. He was 46 and I was 18, but he thought Alabama, Alabama. Welcome to Alabama. God damn. Yeah, buddy. Um, He owned nightclubs and hotels and stuff like that with another guy there. Okay, Um, Susan. Hang on, Susan. Yeah. There's so many digressions here. Did your dad know that his classmate was no. fucking his daughter? No. And I didn't speak to my parents for nine months. My mother, I found out later, That's thought I was dick. dead. My dad actually hired somebody your to parents find for nine me. months. He was laying pipe. Yeah. Um, I Respectfully. Actually, uh, there's a long story, backstory there. But anyway, so eventually my dad hired somebody and he found me. And I guess he threatened the guy somehow and um so also there was some and i found his stack like i knew where he would go get it and i like searched the house and took me down you know blah 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 i found it and i was like getting spoons full out of it every day blah 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 damn susan at 18 you were snorting a spoon i don't even know what it is but that feel like a lot limo going everywhere every day he had a driver and a limo you just it was a real this life I was in was unreal. It was surreal. Anyway, that's another that story. That's not job related. So um, this girl that I knew since that was my stepmother's best friend, her daughter, uh, I hooked up with her through him. And we were doing like cocaine and dressing rooms of like all the stores, like Parisians and everything while we were trying on clothes because he would give shit. me money McCray's. every day. 
to buy like steaks and stuff for dinner at night. Well, when he found, I think he found out I was stealing cocaine from him every day. And then my daddy found out I was living with him. So he kicked me out mm. and I didn't have anywhere to go because I'd been living with him for a year and I'd have alienated everybody except like her. So she let okay. me come live with her and she was doing the women's oil wrestling. Oh. So I didn't have any money or anything. Well, he gave me like, I think he gave me about a thousand dollars when I moved out. Just a severance uh, package. Yeah. Sugar baby severance package. And so um, this should get you to your next sucker. So that's how I started oil wrestling was because he kicked me out of his house when I was not working and completely bumming off him. I was 19 Mm -hmm. years old and he thought I was 21. I told him I lost my license. I was going in his nightclubs all the time, drinking and it was a very weird, crazy time. So she says, hey, you broke my fucker. Come oil wrestle with me. And so you go down there. So, yeah. So the first time I went to um, Tennessee to um, Vanderbilt to a fraternity, uh, they had um, paid to have an oil wrestling thing, a bunch of the fraternities at Vanderbilt. This was in 1989. And... Uh, I was like, well, I think I can do this. They made, I think, um, I'm going to have to call her the hitchhiker. That was my friend. If I say her name, y'all, if y'all can just bleep it out, if I accidentally no, say No, don't say her name. Just call her hitchhiker. That's yeah. Fine. If you accidentally she say was a hitchhiker. And um, she so everybody was, had a persona, like real wrestling. Right. Every we had the had baby a... bruiser, the hitchhiker, and the nurse. And I was the hot cop. Is this like WWF where you all kind of decide who wins? Yes, or is it just rub oil? Because the how you make the money is um we we come out and um we do a little routine and um then we go back and um the way you make the money is the guys would bid on who would be the manager of the person and the manager was allowed to like they could he could rub your shoulders when you were in your corners of the ring, oh. and then they were allowed to squirt you down with the baby oil while you oh, just kind so of like a corner man in boxing. Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna get her, you know. And they could like give you advice on you know what to do, get her baby, and they would bid sometimes you know hundreds of dollars just to stand in the corner. So if you won the match you got another time to get bid on, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody oh. to be your manager. So that's how you made more money. But also when you came out to not like, but you know how in wrestling they come out of the tunnel, woo, you know, and all that, we would also come out of, you know, to, to be introduced. It's not like stripping exactly, but kind of like stripping where you could go through the audience and you would get tips you know, you would take off. I had a cop costume and I had long bleach blonde hair that was all up in the nice. So you could walk around and, and tease and, the you know, young sunglasses and you take it all off and then they tip you, you know, up to whatever you could get in your bathing suit. So you could make, you know, a hundred, couple hundred dollars there, a few hundred dollars, you know, with the managers and uh-huh. All right, so two questions, and we'll get you out of here, Susan. One, how much on an average night would you say you made doing this? $354. That's not bad. You split a hotel room, you split the gas. No, they paid for everything. Oh, shit. Okay. They paid for meals, everything. Um, We and uh, I actually never really did drugs or anything when I was there, but the guys would pay for drinks and stuff. Um. And I'm sure they would offer for extra was anybody. And I ask this respectfully, but I, it's hard to be in a situation that sexualized and not have men try to buy sex from. You, um, right? Yeah, I never had sex except for one of my boyfriends went with me one time. That was a terrible, yeah. horrible. Never do that again. He went to be the lighting guy because our lighting guy couldn't go. And it turns out he wouldn't it. shine the light on me. <laughs> um, he got real jealous and. <laughs> You know, he like when you're going through the crowd to get money and stuff, he wouldn't shine the light on me. So I, you know, I couldn't get my money. (laughs) It was a horrible experience. Uh, My last question will let you go. How did you get out of this job? Because it sounds like this is a job that you remember. Uh, My dad, he said, you're going to come work for me. 
He said, I cannot have you out in these streets like this anymore. I know what you're doing. We're not going to talk about it just like before. Cause he didn't ever tell me he knew I was living with the older guy that he went to high school. He just sat me down at McDonald's. He said, I know what you're doing and I'm going to put a stop to it. And then within three days, I got kicked out yeah. when that, when he found out I was oil wrestling, he came and sat me down and said, I know what you're doing. And, you know, you're jumping out front. He said, you're going to come work for me. And sure enough, I went to work for him and uh, God bless his soul. He was an attorney and um, he taught me how to do real estate title insurance and search for titles. And um, I utilized that. I eventually went back to college Mm -hmm. um, and became a real estate title insurance agent in Florida. Well, I'm glad that you learned a lot from these experiences and thank you sincerely thank you for coming mm-hmm. back on the show and sharing this with us and i'm glad that you and the 46 year old man i'm <laughs> glad that it ended early enough so that your father didn't have to deal with the awkward moment at the class reunion <laughs> she's nice jg i didn't even know spoonful was a measurement of cocaine i don't think that's how that's supposed to work but she's still standing so so third what have we learned if anything about women's oil wrestling it's very competitive Oh, Susan. And, and it's a wholesome sport for children. What? After the break, the homie third, our very own Ralph, told a very, very funny story when he first joined this program. And also a journalist who uh, was obeyed a death threat for good reason. See, sometimes death threats, they really mean it. And they say it's people like that that'll fuck you up. We'll get into that. Best or the worst of the job, fit. Hey there, it's Michael Costa from The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Ever wonder what happens behind the scenes or want to catch some extended interviews? Well, now you can. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition podcast for full episodes, extended content, and a whole lot more. The Daily Show, Ears Edition is available wherever you get your podcasts. Job Fair bringing it home. Best of the worst and first segments from 20. 20- 21 and these aren't all the best ones there are so many good ones also if you enjoy this podcast if you're a fan of this podcast i'm not going to ask you for anything but to rate and review us just whatever app you listen to this podcast in give us five stars it helps the show and all of this other algorithmic gibberish that i don't understand but i don't ask you to do it often Hell, I barely ask you to do it at all. So just know that if I'm asking, it's probably because we need to do it. Okay. Wrapping up this edition of Best of the Worst, the first story you're going to hear is from the homie Chris Searcy from the episode titled Street Code. After that, the homie Ralph, our very own Ralph Third, tells the story of the time he worked for a major black talk show host. And we still to this day can't tell you who it is. Let's get into it. JG, who do we have on the phone now for us? We have Chris, and Chris is going to talk to us about the worst time he had working in television news. Chris. How's it going? You you are more than welcome to use the last name. It is serious. The interesting thing is I actually never planned on going into journalism. Hmm. So uh, I'm a poli-sci major and uh, was a campaign manager, political campaign manager for a couple of years in central Alabama. And uh, one of the stations had reached out to me because of my my work there. I'm like, hey, we're revamping, you know, our, our morning show. Would you come and, and be the main fixture? And I'm like, I don't know much about television news, but I'm like, I'll give it a try. It's it's a stressful job. And yeah. like we all have a point when we take a job and you have that moment in the job where you go, oh, shit, I ain't going to be here. <laughs> so this it, is it, not what I want to do forever. So it's interesting. I actually just left television news about a month ago. So <laughs> oh, this shit is fresh. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're 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 the, the scab is still open. So oh. it's, let's go. So. There's an entire position called the MMJ, a multimedia journalist. I'm hip. I'm hip. Right, right. Bam, bam. Break it down. Break it down for the layman's. Break it down for the layman's. Okay. So so for about half of your newsroom that's on TV, the reporters, they are MMJs. And what that means is when you come into work, 
you do everything. Mm -hmm. You have camera, you edit, you shoot, you turn the camera on, you're in front of the camera, you go back, you write, you put it together, you edit, and then you post it, and then you write a web story, and then you check social media. So you do everything for that story for the day. And so I'm doing a wonderful job. And then one day, one of one of my good friends who's a reporter came to me and was like, look, stop volunteering for so much. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, <laughs> And, and this is to the part that I hate. I, the, the moment for me, and I'm married, I got two kids, that it was like, okay, I kind of need to start thinking about life after TV was when a story almost got me killed. Excuse me? Let's talk <laughs> oh, about okay. it. Talk about so, it. So <laughs> the worst one personally was uh, so this, this young lady and her brother were driving in the car with the lady's boyfriend slash fiance. And they're being followed by an undercover unit and the unit pulls them over pit maneuver. Uh, the boyfriend jumps out of the car. Police say he, he brandishes a gun. They shoot him dead. Oh. Uh, they call me. Hey, you know, somebody wants to talk about a homicide involving her, her boyfriend. That's all I get. And they give you an address. So you never really know where you're going. So I go. They just dispatch you like a fucking Grubhub driver. Oh right. Take this pack and keep it moving. Go, like, go pick up this news and bring it back to me. So what? So I and I'm I'm from I'm from the South where we have project like so they send me to the ghetto mm -hmm. and I recognize I'm in the ghetto and I'm like okay so I, I walk into to this lady's apartment. Uh, smells like straight gas. There's no okay. furniture, which was, which was, which was tip number two. There was the only furniture they had were two of the white lawn chairs. <laughs> so it smells oh. like weed, and they have patio furniture. No, no, no. That is not. That can't be weed when it's like that. When they got the patio furniture, my friend, that is crack. All right, that is not weed. <laughs> weed has had furniture. Crackheads have two patio chairs and an open floor plan. Oh all right? Gosh. Like, there's a difference. Ralph is defending weed smoking. Hey, man. Don't put this on us. Don't put this on us. Mm-mm. Nah, weed heads wash. All right? Damn it. We don't... Yeah, I'm just... That was a crack den. But go ahead. I'm sorry. This white reporter passes me on the way out and is like, good luck. Uh-oh. And I'm... <laughs> Ooh-wee. So I go in, I talk to him, and... You know, I, I know how to relate to, to all kinds of people. So I make them feel comfortable. It was it was a great, you know, tenable situation. Uh, she tells me her story. Um, she feels like the police unjustly killed killed her boyfriend or fiance. So we leave and she's like, hey, by the way, can you blur out my face? Because, you know, I feel like police were, are just looking for us. And I'm like, oh, um, we may not be able, we may not be able to, but, you know, I'll let you know for sure because that's something we have to get approval for. So yeah, I, you have to do, you have to get that clearance at the top of the interview before you even sit mm -hmm. down. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know they were going to ask for that until the very end. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll have to ask about that. And so I, I call and say, hey, you know, this is the case. They want their image blurred or face blurred. And my manager's like, uh, why would we do that? And I'm like, well, you know, they, they feel that their life is in danger. And, you know, whether I believe them or not, I feel like this would be a justifiable instance to, to blur someone's face. And it doesn't affect the story in any way. Right. No, we're not the face. And I'm like, okay. So I call and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Uh, we're not going to be able to blur your face. And she goes, okay, just don't run the story then. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Yeah. I go, call my manager. Hey, uh, you know, they said just don't run the story. They're like, oh, no, we're running the story. Oh, they're running the story. That's right. I said, oh, man. What did you, you do, Chris? What did you do? Oh. It determines oh, right now whether I'm going to continue to oh. like you. What did you do, Chris? So, so I said, you know, I really think this is a situation. Again, whether you believe their story or not, where this is a, a justified instance of their face. They're, no, we're not going to. Police already know who they are. If they want to find them, they'll find them. That was the response. And so that was it. So I call her back and she loses it. Oh. And is, bleep, 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 I'm going to find you. We going to kill you. 
And so I'm I'm trying my best to to explain that it, this is out of my control. And then she's she is just she's lost it. And she's going crazy, throwing every threat out there. And I, at that point, I'm like, you know, she's emotional. I understand. And mind you, I met her and her. So she has her brother the phone. And in the calmest voice, he says, are you going to run our interview? And I said, well, at this point, you know, I don't have a choice. And he says, I'm going to find you. And I said, hold on one second. <laughs> That's it. When uh-huh. I heard that calmest voice, I said, no, sir, we're not going. So I called them back and I said, I am not running this story. And they were like, well, we, maybe we cannot. I said, I'm not doing it. Good job. So we didn't run the story. And you would think that's the end. It's just over. So I go into work the next day and I call her at the end and say, we're not running the story. She doesn't believe me at this point. And she's just pissed. They're still trying to find me. So I go into work the next day early and our, our assignment editor is... I'm like, oh, hey, ha ha, chuckling. Hey, you remember that story you did yesterday? I was like, yeah, yeah. They got they got arrested for attempted murder. And I was like, huh? <laughs> nah, son. <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, For the okie doke. Nah, son. Yeah, I'm with you, 200. Nah, son. <laughs> nah, son. Nah, son. Yeah, that's, that's a good time to get the fuck out of television news, bro. It's time to quit. That's a good time. If you could go backwards for your time in news, what would you have yeah. done differently? Because there's still people coming out oh, of these yeah. colleges ready to be journalists. I I wouldn't necessarily do anything differently, okay? Personally, because because I I like the path that I took, but I I would honestly tell people who want to go into TV news. To, to follow somebody who's in TV. Okay. Like to actually reach out to them, follow them for a day or two. Like see that they're eating ramen and Vienna sausages. Like they, they drive an old Altima. They're not rich. You're working all the time. You have no weekends free when you're starting out. Like no time to date. Like especially if you're trying to go to network. Mm-hmm. And it was, so, it, yeah, it was a blessing for me because I, I had already been married and had two kids. But I don't, I don't need, you know, I don't have anything to do on the weekends. Except I hang out with them. So I was able to, to grind as much as I did. But I mean, you, you really have no other life outside if you're trying to move up as, as quickly as I did or as quickly as something. So. so so you saying in a word like mentorship is key, I would think, in that situation? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Follow a mentor. And that's why so many people burn out. Like I, I've known so many people who come in and are just insanely depressed. TV news is like sports with none of the benefits. Mm. You're under the same contracts. You move every three to five years. Um, yep. You are being evaluated every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. The eyes of the world or your local market are on you. Everybody sees when you mess up. You just don't get paid and don't have any fans. So why do it? I, I think a lot of people do it because they have the dream that they're going to go to network. Mm. And the thing that I found out is because I, I know people who work for networks and I, I mentors. And again, mentorship, as you said earlier, Ralph, is huge. Because for me, I was sold the dream that because of my trajectory and the speed with, with which I made it, like network is a real possibility. And so I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Like, that's like, I've had some packages run on network. And then I talked to some people I know who are at network and they were like, I hate it. It sucks. Oh. I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> but that's where I was trying to go. you telling me it's bad. I'm like, oh, man, like they're depressed every day. I'm like, oh, well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you a lot for what you have done for those communities there um, in Missouri. And thank you for what you're doing now for the communities. Mr. 50136, man, God bless you. And you have your youth. Clearly, your skin is radiant. You're vibrant. You look like you got your, you, you like whatever funk you was in. You look like you're out of it now. You got three screens behind him. He balling. Look at that. There's three screens. Hey, I'm exercising, eating good, and life is good. Man. That's what's up, man. Well, Chris, thank you so much for calling into the job fair, man. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Peace, Chris. Hey, man. I'm worried about this, brother. I want to know who they tried to Chris. kill. What if it was the white reporter that walked out and told him good luck? 
What if oh, that's who they went and bust shot? Snap. That's, oh, that's too good. Funny. <laughs> that's too funny. Ralph, tell us one of your worst or your first jobs, brother. Mm. Endear yourself to the RJF family. Okay. Worst job, quite simply, was uh, working for uh, and helping to create the show. Worst job I ever had. Whoa. Oh, Whoa. Shit. Load your guns. Let me sit up. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, so I, uh, and I can talk about it now because all the court stuff is over and real people sued him. They were like, hey, we got this great idea for you. Why don't you pack up from D.C. and move out to Los Angeles and help produce this show? Think about it. It'll be bigger than you. And I was like, well, I don't like um, and to say it nicely as best I can, uh, cause I don't have enough alcohol. Um, it was, it was a really hard job simply because of, uh, and he was a rough character to work for. And, uh, it was hard for me because I like to think I'm real pro black. Uh, but it's hard to be pro black when the villain is black. Like it's real hard to be black when the villain is black. And, um, nobody at the time really wanted to listen to me about it. And I looked like the crazy, angry black person with dreads. Um, and, Did you uh, have dreads at the time? I absolutely had dreads, but, but when I met, okay. uh, put it like this, first time I met- Just so you know, we've been beeping his name the entire time you've been talking. Yes. But oh, keep telling yeah. the story. Oh, it's please more beep fun his name. With, it's more, it's more fun name. with the beeps, I ain't yeah, yeah, that's fine. over you, you just got hired. I love it. So, um, at the time, I had dreads, and uh, I woke up late. I woke up late and got to this meeting, and when I got to the meeting, Everybody started making jokes about, oh, you must have been smoking that weed. You must have been high. You must have been another. And I was like, what do I look like showing up high? No, I'm not high. Leave me alone. And I got so distressed about it, I went home and cut off all my hair. Because oh. they really leaned in me. Like it was it was a hard, it was a hard job simply because it was the worst job I had, because it affected me the most for other jobs that I had. Like I was really shell shocked and scared to, to trust and work with folks. Um, especially black people. How old were you? Um, I was 26, 27. Mm, those are formidable. So in working on a show, because the people didn't hear the name, but working <laughs> on a show with a black host mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. respected, mm -hmm. how does that affect your relationship? And, I, and I'm asking it seriously. How does that inform your relationship with other black people down the road? Um, because you have to get another job. Yeah. How does that yeah. inform your, especially with celebrity, because especially when you're a producer, producers, and I say this jokingly with Jacqueline, but producers really are the motherfucking lifeblood of a show. They're the ones that make the shit work. The producers go get all the raw ingredients. It taught me uh, the biggest lesson I actually walked away from that is it's all about the work. I can remember the sister who told that to me uh, when she saw me at one of my worst moments. And she was like, as long as you can remember it's about the work, you'll be fine. And that was enough for me to not only get through that, but when I started running across other people in my journalism career who were not nearly as bad, but pretty tough, uh, that's what I, I would just surround myself and just make sure I got the work done and stop worrying about the personalities of the people. I think that when you're young and you're first coming out of school or you're getting your first job, we all kind of romanticize them. You know, we, we kind of think that we're going to be there forever or we're just going to make all these great changes because you're young and you're dumb and you still have all that energy to think that you can change a lot of things without understanding how hard that process really is. And, uh, you know, it, it taught me a lot, though. It taught me it taught me a lot. And uh, it definitely it was horrible, but it made me a hell of a lot stronger in a lot of respects, too. So wait a minute. Are we messing up the young people that work for you, Roy? Because you're generous with your time with them. You're generous with your comments with them. And you get on to them when necessary. But when it's time for them to go, they're like, I don't want to leave. And I'm like, you have to go. So are yeah, we have to go. Yeah. Are we messing them up by being mm, I I am trying I try to, with the people that I work with, to make sure that they at least know their worth and that their <laughs> ideas matter. So, And that's important, man. Like, I, I can't stress, if, if you are messing people up by giving them that as a foundation, to mess people up all the way through. Like, just, mm. you should. I mean, I, I don't, the biggest lesson of all of it for me, my worst job taught me that 
ultimately is just it's just a period. It's just a, it's just a, a stopping point in your life. It's not your entire life. Um, and sometimes all that stuff gets really crushing and it can feel really heavy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the small things, man. Like all, I had a lot of fun when I lived in Los Angeles. The job was the worst part. But I had, but I was in L.A. doing it. The job was horrible. But everything else um, that I could possibly mistakenly get involved with, including which I'll tell you about later. I went on a blind date with Kobe Bryant's sister, but I didn't know it was Kobe Bryant's sister. As you shouldn't have. Yeah. So I can know whether or not you love me or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I screwed that all the way up. I told her that uh, I told her that uh, Kobe was a great player, but he'd shoot you out of the game and he needed a big man to win. And then she got up and started talking to Derek Fisher and never came back. Wow. It was a but great wait. night. It was a great he, night. It was a horrible night. Yeah. This is before or after Kobe got them three rings with Shaq. Oh, yeah. This is after the three rings. This is after the three rings. So, oh, yeah, no. man. Oh, yeah, man. And, and the homie who set me up on the date didn't tell me who she was until we got to the end of the night. We were walking her to her car. And I looked down at her license plate and it says Bryant 2. And I was like, yo, man, why oh, her license plate say Bryant no. 2? My man was like, oh, yeah, because that's Shea, dog. Hey, she mad cool. And I was like, Shea who? He's like Kobe's little sister, Shea Bryant. And I was like, no. Bye bye. No. Bye bye. Take me and home. And then you're at work the next day and <laughs> telling you you ain't shit. Bingo. <laughs> it was a nice life. I, 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 I know we gotta keep the show moving, but here's here's the last question I'm curious about because sure. I'm always interested when we talk about what we don't talk. This is the first time we've actually talked about working for a black tyrant. Mm. Well put. Oh, no, that was the right word. That was the right word, GG. There's a lot of tyrants in entertainment yes. on the black side of the game who are praised mm. by a lot of people when deep down, when the cameras is off and the doors is closed, there's some evil, terrible, abhorrent. I pulled that one out at thesaurus.com. I like abhorrent that. Really? Motherfuckers, That's a big GG. word right there. I could ruin a lot of fucking people that you fucking respect. And they do, list. and they do good work. Here's the crazy I, part: I'm, they do good work. Uh -huh. They do awesome work. But I am more than willing to run down the bleach right now because I don't have to work for anybody. <laughs> I can run them down. We can go. <laughs> Just bleep me for about five minutes. I'll give you any name you want. But I, but I, in all seriousness, uh, go ahead, Roy. Go ahead. Go ahead. All seriousness. No, how did how did you leave the job? How did you get mm, it? Because I think yeah. that's an important part of it for people. Because when you're in a job that is. <sighs> When you're young and opportunistic, right? Mm -hmm. It's the idea of this is a good opportunity. I better not never let go because ain't nobody. And they instilling you that so many other people want this job. Mm. It like a lot of jobs in entertainment, especially in fucking journalism, bro, are where when somebody leaves, everybody gossips about that person after they leave. Go, can you believe he quit? That nigga crazy. So uh, since we're bleeping it all. Let's just say that said bleeping person might have ranted on um, a recording without seeing he, he he ranted in a studio without paying attention to the record light um, because he just didn't like record lights. And he said some really despicable things to a, to a woman on the staff. Uh, it caused all of us to get together. And let's say that a bleep company wanted us to delete the files, but it just so happened that my man was in charge of IT. So instead of us deleting the files, we went in and made copies of the file because we figured we would need it. You know what I'm saying? If some bullshit happened. And uh, when it came time for, for them to try and extend my uh, contract, they wanted me to stay for three extra months. But at this point, like it was like, if I see them, we're going to blows. And they were like, well, you just have to get past that. And I was like, I don't think I can get past that. And they were like, well, we're going to make you get past it. And I was like, oh, really? And so I went to my desk and I pulled out the little CD and I put it in the doggone machine and I said, here's how it's going to work. Y'all going to send me home. Either y'all going to send me home or I'm going to send this to every press person I've met the entire time I've been in L.A. And I met a lot of people. So it's up to you. And the woman was like, well, what's on that tape? I said, well, why don't you play it? She played it. She heard the first two and a half seconds. and was like, OK, so the movers will be at your house next week. Do you want to take some time off or do you want to do you want to just go straight back to work or and that and that and honestly, that was the biggest mistake I made in that whole situation. I should have taken time off, but they wanted me to drive across the country, and I'm black. I ain't doing that. Uh, so I instead just went back and started working as soon as I got back. But I shouldn't have done that, but that's how I felt. Jacqueline, I don't know if we can trust this. <laughs> 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 yeah.
bosses and shit. Yeah. That's that. Roy's Job Fair is a product of iHeartRadio, Comedy Central, and South Park and Princeton Productions. I hope you all have a wonderful and prosperous uh, week. Uh, please rate and review the podcast if you want to be a part of it. Or if you have a job that you want to tell us about, if your company's hiring, if you know a scam that's been going on, please, please, please hit us up. RoyceJobFair at gmail.com. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.